Boker Tov, everyone. Shalom Aleichem. Welcome, 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 welcome. Buenos dias. Uh, guten Tag. Welcome to the uh, Aliyah Day. Glad that you're here as we are on a, uh, a, a wonderful day. It is the uh, Rosh Hodesh today and tomorrow. We have two days of Rosh Hodesh. Today is the last day of um, the month of Tishrei. Uh, and so today, God willing, Hashem willing, sometime today, I intend to offer a little, uh, a brief anyway, relatively brief uh, discussion of the mazel of Hashvan and uh, the month of Hashvan and what we uh, should expect, can expect uh, spiritually. As we, as we have said throughout the year, and we want to continue this, we need to Live with the times of the year uh, on a moment-by-moment -moment basis, really. So studying the Aliyah each day is actually one of the principal ways in which we do that. We look at the Aliyah, and we shouldn't just... We should not just think of the Aliyah as a mere Torah study. Hey, we're, we're looking at the Parashah for today, and we're studying the Torah. That is obviously what we're doing, but that's not really uh, just what we should be thinking. What we should be thinking is, what does this Aliyah that we're studying today, what is the spiritual relevance that it has with respect to the mazel of the day? How is this power shah? Because remember, the Word of God is divine. The Torah is divine. And uh, every single day that occurs, occurs only because Hashem wills it to occur. He is the one who perpetuates uh, creation. He causes the, the globe of the earth to continue to spin on its axis. And therefore, if today we find ourselves studying a specific piece of, of, of Scripture, then we must assume that Hashem desired that that portion of Scripture should be divinely relevant for our day. So we should ask Hashem to help us to know how to study the, the Torah and how to implement it and uh, what it means for us today. Remember yesterday we said, I brought down the insight from, uh, from Rabbi Tversky about how we should uh, pray to God to save us each and every day and then we should thank Him. Hopefully remember that. We remember that to do that as we laid down last night. And so we want to give God the praise and the glory for saving us yesterday. For giving us a good day yesterday. For saving us from our troubles. Saving us from our trials. For judging us in mercy. Hashem judges us in mercy. It's what the story of the flood is really about. The uh, Hashem judges us and He's merciful in His judgment. So let's look at our Aliyah. Our Aliyah today is Genesis chapter 8 and verse 15 through chapter 9 and verse 7. That's Genesis chapter 8 and verse 15 through chapter 9 and verse 7. Hashem has, uh, has uh, brought destruction upon the earth vis-a-vis -a, -vis a flood, by way of a flood. Now, in a way, we look at this as God's destruction his judgment. However, uh, in reality, what, the, what the, some other commentators bring down is that 
what we often see as destruction and punishment, God sees as restoration and renewal. And so what people have said about the flood, and I love this particular insight, and that is that the flood was really a worldwide mikvah. And yes, people died, hundreds of thousands of people died. Yes, animals died, and that's sad. But the question becomes, why did they die? Why did they die? They died because of their sin, even the animals. They died because they corrupted themselves, and more, more importantly, they refused to make teshuva. The sad part of the story is not the destruction. The sad part of the story is that there were only eight people and a few hundred animals who were worthy enough to get on the ark, that is, get inside the word. What made them worthy? Teshuva. Ladies and gentlemen, you and I are not worthy of the resurrection. We're not worthy of the resurrection. Why should God resurrect us? What is it about us that Hashem should include us in the resurrection? Why? Because we're so holy, we're so special, we're so wonderful. Really? What makes us worthy? Answer is nothing. What makes us worthy, the only thing that makes us worthy is teshuva. Our willingness to admit that we're not worthy and we need Hashem to, to, to be gracious to us and to save us. And it's obviously, though, I should mention that Teshuvah is not just that because we can't just say, hey, God, I'm not worthy. Hey, God, save me. Wink, wink. No, we have to actually admit that we're not worthy, recognize that we have failures and faults and, and so on and so forth, and we have to strive to do something about it. That's a key component that most people miss. Hashem accepts us the way we are, naturally. That kind of is a, goes without saying. However, He doesn't, he, 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 we can't stay that way, Okay. You have to change. Ladies and gentlemen, can I just say that? You have to change. If we're not changing, we're not... Well, that should be concerning. You can say, well, I'm pretty much the same person I've always been. That's a problem. We should be changing. We should be growing. We, we should be uh, our... Uh, we should be chipping away at our negative midot. So Hashem brings about this this worldwide mikvah. It kills that which needs to die, and it brings to life that which needs to live. So again, a lot of times what we see in our life as destruction, oh, you know, that was a bad trial and a bad storm. God says, no, it wasn't really. The point of that was I needed to get rid of that which was dead and bring that which is to life, to be restored. God is in the restoration business. Humankind is in the killing business. When somebody fails us, we want to just take them outside and double tap them, so to speak, and put them out of their misery. Really, put, us, put, put them out of our misery, right? But God is not like that. God wants to restore us. He wants to allow us to bounce back. That's the whole point. I want to look at something here. Um... When we look at the water, the, the, the waters begin to recede, of course. And we're going to be looking at the parasha today, the aliyah today, that is, 
that Moses leaving the ark. But just I want to cover two quick points that were left over so that we don't bypass this. It says the waters receded. And God remembered. What did God remember? Does God have to remember? Does God forget? No, he doesn't forget. But what does it mean when the scripture says, Vizkor Elohim, Hashem, or God, in this case, Elohim, God remembered. It said the covenant he had made to save Noah. This is what he remembered. His family need not be mentioned because Noah was its head. This is what Ibn Ezra brings down. It says, whether the events described in the following verse happened after the initial 40 days or the 150 days depends upon the various chronological views, etc. Noting the use here of Elohim, Rashi comments, this name denotes him in his attribute of justice, which is transformed into the attribute of mercy, how? Through the prayers of the righteous. So ladies and gentlemen, how do we transform God's attribute of strict justice into an attribute of mercy. This is why prayer is so important. We do this vis-a-vis our prayer. This is why praying for the sick, laying hands on the sick and praying for them, that is a Jewish thing to do. People say, well, I don't know if I believe in that Pentecostal Christian stuff. Well, that's really interesting because that's not Pentecostal Christian stuff. It's called Jewish stuff. This is what the sages used to do, especially those who lived in Galilee in the first century who were known as charismatic Jews. They would lay hands upon the sick and they would recover. Why? Because partly this praying for people turns God's attribute of strict justice into an attribute of mercy. So it says, conversely, the evil deeds of the wicked transform the attribute of mercy into an attribute of strict justice. So when, when we commit sins, we actually take mercy and turn it into strict judgment. This is the fallacy of the theology that is prevalent among so many of, uh, of, of grace, 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 grace. Now, on the one hand, we all need, especially yours truly, we all need God's grace in our life. We, we need Hashem to act mercifully with us and graciously with us. We all need that. Every single one of us need that. And if you think you don't need that, that's you need to seek help because you do need that. On the other hand, when we emphasize grace, God loves you, don't worry about it. You have grace, you're under grace, you're under grace. Don't worry about it. Chill out, relax, don't be stressed, don't be anxious, you're under grace. We can begin to condition ourselves to just say, you know what, God doesn't really care so much about what I do as long as I just love him in my heart. And, and, and by, besides, I, I'm under grace, which becomes really slack. He's lackadaisical with me. He just kind of, there's just a lot of slack, you know, etc. And what ends up happening there is we begin to ignore his will because what does it matter anyway? We're under grace, which means as we're not doing the will of God, we are inevitably what sinning doing evil deeds because anything opposite the will of god which is the law of moses uh is a sin according to the bible and though then what happens is unbeknownst to us because we're living a sinful life a lot of times we don't know it because we've been told it's not a sinful life we are in effect changing mercy i.e grace into strict judgment 
So, even though, on the one hand, none of us can attain righteousness through our good deeds, at the same time, it does not absolve us from pursuing that lifestyle. We must work hard and never quit living that life. Press, press, press. So, it says, you know, by the way, I was listening one time, this is, hopefully this is kind of relevant, but I have this attitude, and it is based on my life experience, but both of what I've experienced in, in different environments, and also what I've observed, and that is, if we never quit, that is, if we have an attitude of don't quit, I, I believe that's, that's 80% of success. 80% of, of success is to have a don't quit attitude. Now, the don't quit attitude also, I think, uh, a, a, well, how should I say this? Part of having a, a no quit attitude is showing up. You know, you, you know, when you don't want to go to shul, that's when you get out of bed and go to shul, right? When you don't want to do the mitzvah, that's when you force yourself to do the mitzvah. So getting into that, well, you know, I woke up, I'm a little sore, my back is a little sore, I, I think I'll not go to synagogue, I won't be a part of the minion. That's a quitter. Somebody who says, well, I, I know I should do that mitzvah, but I'm, I'm kind of tired and sleepy, and uh, you know what, I, I, I won't do that mitzvah. That, that's a quitter, okay? That's what I'm trying to say. So we have to look at things like this. Now, obviously, when you're going through the trial, you know, going through the storm of life, you have to just, you know, you have to press into it. You have to push into it. You don't quit. And I believe that not quitting is 80% of, of uh, success. And so we have to realize this, that God is calling us to be people who do not quit who press forward, right? And, uh, you know, I was listening one time to um, a man who had become a Navy SEAL. Navy SEAL training is vigorous, but what's really the biggest part of it is the uh, what they call BUDS training. They call it, The Marine Corps has something equivalent to the Navy SEALs. They're called the Marine Raiders. Um, they also have Force Recon, which is kind of a, a, a slight step down from that. But anyway, the Marine Raiders are part of the special, the literal um, special, special forces like uh, Navy SEALs are, and, and they're, they're legit. But in any case, whether you're going through Raider indoctrination or Navy SEALs buds, this is all about who's going to make it, who's going to be accepted into the program, to continue on, and it's extremely hard, and only a fraction of the people who apply make it, okay, but I was listening to a man who's uh, giving a little lecture, and he, he had, he, he had, he's a Navy SEAL, he's, he wears the, the trident, and um, he was explaining that it wasn't so much that uh, he was the best, best athlete, he wasn't the fastest runner, he wasn't the best swimmer, he wasn't the strongest man, 
So the question becomes, how did he make it? And some of these other guys that were stronger, faster, better, whatever than him, how did they not make it? And the answer simply was that he refused to quit. And whenever he wanted to feel like he should quit and drop out, he reached down deep somewhere and found that extra step. He found that extra breath. And I will tell you, especially in that environment, that when when an instructor sees that, uh, that's, again, the number one thing. That's the number one thing. Because if they got somebody like that that will press through, they can teach them all the other stuff. And so when a shim sees that in us, that's what he sees. So don't quit. Don't give up. Don't give in. Press through. Hashem, make Hashem your, your, your all in all. And you say, well, I've, I've, up until this point, I've lived a pretty terrible life. Well, that was yesterday. A lot has changed in the last 30 seconds. So do something different today and drag yourself across the finish line if, you, if need be. Now, it says here another insight I want to point out. And because the waters are receding, this is all because of God's mercy. And God caused a spirit to pass, it says here. And Rashi brings down that this spirit, Ve'aver Elohim Ruach, God caused a spirit to pass. Rashi brings down that the spirit that passed was a spirit of comfort and appeasement. Now, in the literal translation, you could say that this was a wind, that God basically caused a wind to come across the earth and dry things out. However, the word for wind is ruach. And Ruach is also the same word for spirit. This is why many of the commentators bring down that this wasn't just a wind, but rather this was the, a, a particular spirit, in this case, a spirit of comfort. Now, there's another insight here that asks, or basically says, uh, for this is, comes from Da'at Zekanim, who... Or what, but really who, is the spirit? Because it was a spirit of comfort, but, you know, what exactly is this? Now, I'm going to bring down to you that this spirit is the spirit of Mashiach. One of the names of Mashiach is comforter. So a spirit of comfort comes and dries the water, and therefore Mashiach comes and dries the water. Remember what the water is. The water is a mikvah. What's the purpose of the mikvah? The purpose of a mikvah is to take that which needs to die and bury it so that that which needs to live can rise up. When you go to the mikvah, it's all about death and burial and resurrection. You say, God, that sounds Christian. I know. Why? Because it's Jewish. This is what the mikvah is all about. Born again, new creation, all those come from the mikvah. This is why when you talk about grafted in, being born again, being new creatures, newborn babes, those aren't Christian terms. Those are Jewish terms, and they're specifically related to conversion. Therefore, if you're reading them in the apostolic letters, and you hear people say, Hey, you Gentiles, y'all are now born again. Hey, Gentiles, you're now new creations. Hey, Gentiles, you're now, you know, 
you've been buried and now you're resurrected. Those are all terms that have to do with what? Conversion, which means what? They're no longer Gentiles. Because the old is gone and the new has come. When you, make, you, when you and I make Teshuvah, the old is gone, the new has come. And the only entities that want to remind us of our past are twofold. One, human beings, and two, the Satan. They're the only people who want to remind us of our past. God wants to remind us about our future. So it says here, the very same Ruach, the very same Spirit, which hovered during creation, went forth upon the waters during the flood and returned the waters to their original state. Then he sent forth this same Ruach to calm the water. So we're talking here about the original spirit from Genesis chapter 1 that hovered over the waters of the deep. So now the spirit that has come forth to cause the waters to recede is the same spirit that hovered over the waters of creation. Now this is twofold. Or, the, or I should let me say I should say the reason that it's the same spirit is because we're talking here about a recreation. So the world is being really recreated. This is a fundamental picture, if you will, because what this shows us is that even though mankind can be so depraved, Hashem can bring out of that a a, a fresh start. There should have been a lot more people on the ark. And that wasn't anybody else's fault but the people who died. Because any one of those people, had they made tshuva, had they said to Noah, you know, you're right. I don't know what I've been doing. I'm, I'm a total sinful person. And I need Hashem to add. God would have allowed them to come under the ark as well. But anyway, going back about this spirit that hovered over the water, the insight comes down from Genesis Ravah, from Midrash Rabbah Breshit, chapter 2, Simon 4. It says, Rabbi Shimon ben Lachish explains, And the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters of the deep. Genesis 1-2. This is the spirit of King Mashiach. As it is written, and the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, from Isaiah 11:2. By what merit will the Spirit of Mashiach come? By the merit of Teshuvah. So it, it's saying here that this Spirit that hovered over the waters of the deep was the Spirit of the Mashiach, and it was the Spirit of the Mashiach that caused the waters to recede. Now, Noah leaves the ark. Noah leaves the ark, and it says in Genesis chapter 8 and verse 20, Vayivei Noach mizbeach l'adonai, Hashem, excuse me, Noach brought a sacrifice to Hashem. Why? Gratitude. Noah sat at, when it says here in the insights that Noah, uh, Noah sat, this is in Pirkei the Rebbe Eliezer, when he left the ark, he sat down and contemplated and God, that, that God had saved me from the waters of the flood 
and brought me forth from that prison. What prison is he talking about here? He's talking about the prison of the ark. The prison of the ark. Now, what are you talking about? Now, listen. Uh, you know, Noah and his family were saved in the ark, yes. But listen, the ark was a, a, a rudderless ship. It was designed to float, but it was not designed to navigate. And so the waters of the flood are tumultuous. They're boiling. Uh, they're scalding. It's, it's water gushing up from the face of, of, of the globe of the earth. Water pouring down from the heavens. And if you've ever been at sea in a, in a relatively small craft, okay, I'm talking, when I say at sea, I'm talking about the open ocean, okay? Um, and, and I have, I, I used to do that. It used to be my, my, my job a long, a long time ago. And uh, I've been on a small craft in the middle of the ocean. And I can tell you that a, a, a mild storm, a, a mild rainstorm, will cause the swells of the ocean to become scary. And a, and a gale uh, can be like a hurricane, depending on the, on the size of your craft. And so you can imagine the ark is just being tossed around like everything. And this is going on for a year we think about 40 days, ladies and gentlemen, 40 days. It's a year if you read the story. And on the top of that, you got all these animals on board. And Moses is, excuse me, Noah, not Moses. Mo Noah is, uh, is responsible for feeding all these animals. And the sages bring down that he was so overwhelmed with... Um, with with the, the tossing, the turning, the, and, and all the work involved, that he coughed up blood. He was so exhausted. And at one point, a lion bit him on the leg because the lion felt slighted. At one point, there's a little story about that. And so from that point forward, Noah walked with a limp. So he's, you know, on top of all this, listen, he's like, look, I'm... I'm tossed around in this, this, this big craft. It's It's dark. You know, I've got a little bit of light, but relatively dark, storming, the waters are raging. And uh, in fact, they were raging to the extent that it took the spirit of the Mashiach to come and calm the waters. So my point is simply this. Yes, he was saved, but listen, sometimes our salvation is rough. It wasn't like he was sitting on the love boat and joining, enjoying a pina colada and playing shuffleboard while the rest of the world was dying. No, listen, ladies and gentlemen, when God is taking us some, through some things, he, we may be surviving, we may be being saved, but it feels pretty stormy. But what happens? He leaves the ark and what? He brings a, uh, he brings a Corbin. He brings a sacrifice of praise. The message to us is this. When we're going through the storms of life, we need to be thankful. Why? Because the storm of life is bringing atonement for us. The storm of life is helping us grow. The storm of life 
is a blessing of Hashem. And the sages, this is why the sages bring down that when we're going through afflictions, we need to be grateful. Why? Because number one, we understand that nothing happens to us unless Hashem wants us, wants it to happen to us. And if Hashem wants it to happen to us, what we must understand and believe is that everything from Hashem, not some things, everything from Hashem is coming from His intense love for us. Therefore, it's for our best. Now, that's not always easy to digest because sometimes it seems like, how is this for my best, me going through this thing? This is crazy. But God knows. And the sages also bring, therefore, when we accept these afflictions with love, when we accept them in, with Bitukon and Amuna, they don't last as long as they otherwise would. The storms of life and the trials of life are necessary. But it's like the child who's acting up and they get punished and sent to the room. As long as the child is being obstinate and doesn't realize and doesn't make teshuva and doesn't accept things in love, they're going to remain in the room. The minute that the child softens and says, Dad, Mom, I understand why you sent me here, and so it's okay. I'll be here. Then the, then the parent says, all right, all right, well, you can, you can come out now. Why? Because you get it. Now, why does he bring a Corbin? A lot of people have been taught that the reason the Mashiach had to die was because we needed to appease an angry God. The reason the Mashiach had to give his life was because we all deserve to die and he gave his life for us. And that makes God happy now because before that, God had like a cartoon. He had uh, steam coming out of his nostrils. He was just fit to be tied. He was angry. And then now Mashiach died and he's happy again. Ladies and gentlemen, we're not, what are we doing now? We're throwing blonde women into volcanoes. I mean, come on, that's pagan garbage. Now, do we deserve to die? Yes. Did Mashiach die in our place? Yes. Is he our atonement? Yes. Was it to appease an angry God? No. What? That's, that, see, that goes against a lot of our ingrained thinking because our ingrained thinking is naturally Greek-Roman. And we've been taught this. People have been taught this for centuries, that we have to appease an angry God. Like he's just up there constantly mad. And then when we sin, he gets mad again. We have to do something to appease him. Again, the blonde into the volcano. Why a blonde anyway? Why not a, why not a, a redhead? It's a discrimination against blondes. But that's a whole other topic. What is the purpose of a Corbin really? Well, the word Corbin in Hebrew, which we translate sacrifice, actually means to be to draw near. If you think about it, it's logical. Why? Because sin, what does sin do? It separates us. Sin separates. So if the problem is separation, what's the solution? To, be, to draw near. Not to appease an angry God. Why? Because God is in heaven. His emotions are constant. 
He's not angry, then go mad. He's not, he's not, what do you call it, manic depression? He's not manic one day and depressed the next. He's consistent. We're the problem. Once again, when we have the theology that we have to appease an angry God, what we have is a God who's constantly changing. He's unpredictable. But it says here, there's a known tradition that the place where David and Solomon built the altar in the threshing floor of Aravna uh, in 2 Chronicles 3.1 was the same place where Abraham built the altar upon which he bound Isaac. This is the same place where Noah built an altar after leaving the ark, which was the same place as the altar upon which Cain and Abel offered the sacrifice. And it was there that Abraham offered a sacrifice after he was created. For Adam was created from that very spot. As the sages have taught, Adam was created from that place where he made atonement. Well, what place are we talking about? We're talking about the Holy of Holies, the place where the Ark of the Covenant would rest and maybe soon will rest again soon. Now it goes on to say that he, he made a sacrifice to Hashem. And this is where, we'll, where we will um, wrap things up. The commentators note that in the connection with sacrifices, God is always referred to as Hashem and never as Elohim. Remember what Elohim is. Elohim is strict justice. Hashem is what? Mercy. So whenever we're talking about the Korban, offering, offering a Korban to Hashem, you'll notice that in the Torah and the Tanakh, never, never, never is a Korban associated with Elohim. It's a Korban is also, as always rather, associated with Hashem. Why? A Corbin always is connected to mercy. Hirsch explains the perennial use of Hashem, which means mercy, in connection with the sacrifice proves conclusively that offerings are directed toward the merciful God who desires life. This is why God is not angry. He's not an angry God waiting to be appeased. Why? Why is he not angry? Because God wants life. Someone who's angry doesn't want life. Someone who's angry wants death. He wants blood. He wants revenge. Think about it. When you're angry at somebody, do you just want to see them blessed and highly favored? No, you want to see them beat down. And you sometimes want to do the beating. Right? That's an angry person. This is why God is not angry. Why? Because he wants life. His, his goal for us is to live. He wants us to have life more than we want to have life. So it says, The purpose of the sacrificial service is to bring about the closeness and dedication of a person to godliness. The non-Jewish view is a sacrifice of appeasement from a vengeful God of nature could never be connected with the name of Shem. Why? Because God is a God of mercy and he wants us to live and not die. End of our Aliyah today. Think good, my friends, and it will be good. Todah for being with me today. Please remember to support with your tithes and offerings this synagogue, Sar Shalom, and Lapid Judaism. It's, again, we depend upon generous donations. That's how things happen. It's how this program continues. It's how we continue. It's how the, uh, 
the light of the Mashiach continues to shine brightly because of your generous and faithful support. And I want to thank you for that. I'm asking you to please be faithful in your giving. You can text to give. You can use the online portal. You can call the office and talk to Couture. We are real live people. We have a real live building in a real live city and a real live. We're, we're real. It's not just internet, internet based. So uh, thank you so much for being here. God bless you. Look forward to seeing you tomorrow. Rosh Shadesh Tov. Today would be a, like a, a Yom Kippur Katan, a great time to uh, just make Teshuvah and ask Hashem to help you correct whatever failings we might have had during the month of Tishrei. Shalom Aleichem, everybody. Look forward to seeing you in the morning. Have a great day.